Okay, so um, in the first verse um, of chapter one, James identifies himself, and then he starts right off the very first thing after the greeting. He says, count it all joy, brethren and sistren, when, when you encounter various trials, not if you encounter, but when, um, and how can we do that? How can we count it joy? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And if you were gung-ho, you went ahead and memorized the next verse that talks about it, endurance is not the end result. It's not just for us to be tough. That's not... That's not the end result, that there's more. And so verse 4 says, Let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so that's a great challenge to start out with. But then he says, Now, of course, you probably will have some uncertainty, either when trials, uh, when trials come, either how to deal with them, or why they're happening, or what's God trying to do in me, and so what should I do? I should ask wisdom from God. And how should I ask? In faith, with, um, with a, an eternal perspective. Great. Okay. And then he talked about um, that there's blessing if we do persevere, if we do hang in there and not run away and, and we let God work. Okay. So, and then he talked about, now how, tell me how temptation works. Let's say you were explaining to... Um, a seven-year-old in your Sunday school class, how temptation works according to James. Anybody want to give it a shot? Yes. Well, I've got a seven-year-old grandson. Okay. So how would you explain to him according to what James said? Well, Ollie, temptation is when there's something you really, really want. And if you keep on thinking about it, then uh, it's going to be like an itch. Mm. Good. <laughs> that it's going to feel good for a minute, but it's going to get worse. And after you've really cracked that thing mm -hmm. and given an edge to that temptation long enough, then it's going to be so bad that you'll get an infection yep. inside. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So she, she covered a bunch of bases, didn't she? Thank you, Emily. Good it's a good explanation. So she covered that it's something that that you have an itch for and if you th keep thinking about it that you're more likely to give in and and that's the part where James said that that really the the key thing that makes something tempting is us thinking about it and wanting to do it thinking that it'll feel good or do good or make me good or something like that and but that it can lead to problems even death possibly so good yes yes temptation is a reality unless believers recognize that we're setting ourselves up for failure and it's called sin. yeah it's called sin <laughs> it is 
I, in one commentator that I was reading, it said, well, of course, as we get more mature, we have less temptation. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, no, it might be different kinds of temptation. Things, I mean, like we're not as tempted to go out and rob banks or commit adultery or, you know, some of those outer things, kill somebody, or, but it's more subtle, heart issues, pride, yeah, spiritual pride, envy, uh, fear, anxiety, you know, whatever. So, so um, okay, good job. Um, oh, yes, Mark. Uh, God always gives us a way out of Oh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God provides a way out. So, and, and the emphasis was that God is not the one that's tempting you. He may allow some difficulties. He may even bring a difficulty for a purpose, to teach us, to, to um, help us depend on him, to develop that endurance or whatever. But then he goes on and says, don't be deceived. This is 16 and 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights and he used um he used imagery both of sin and where it ends up and and um the new life and and where it ends up almost like birth right and we're i think there's another time he's going to use that so okay um how temptation works all right, good. Okay, so let's go to 19. That's, I think that's where we left off. So 19, 20, and 21. Um, I want to say that where it says this you know, as best I can tell in the Greek, it really should say know this because it is an imperative. Know this, my beloved brethren. And my guess is that it might even go with the previous verse, but it could go with the rest of this too. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So again, we have that that word implanted is very much a like a biology term it's it's like let me see i'll tell you it is oh here's where we're gonna we're gonna do this receive okay so he says receive i before e okay and what are we supposed to receive the word, the word. receive the word um Make sure I'm reading it correctly. Therefore, uh, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. So, so that's kind of explaining how we would receive it by, by doing that or through doing that or along with doing that. So I'm going to shorten this. Put aside um, filthiness. Filthiness. And that word filthiness means like moral, um, morally soiled, moral rot, moral rot that kind of thing. Um, and wickedness. Um, in humility, oh, so we have to, there's two things, put aside that 
and then receive it with humility. I mean, after all, if I think I'm perfect and I have everything together, why would I want new input from God? So there has to be a certain humility. Okay, and then it says, the word implanted. All right, I wanted to tell you, um, well, let's, let's do this. It is, what's it able to do? Able to save what? Save your souls. Okay. So, okay, so this word implanted, he's still using that imagery of uh, comparing it to, to conception, birth, growing up, and all that. So the word implanted is number 1721. And it means um, to bring into living union and, it, and two examples are if you graft a plant. So two things come together and they, their life merges or to germinate and develop like a baby to bring into living union, placed within, ready to germinate and develop. So he's talking about receiving the word. Um, okay, so we're told a bunch of things about the word, right? So while we're, while we're here, let's do that. Let's see, you had a question, um, page 25. Question three and question five both um, refer to what we're told about the word. So what are we told in this past, not just verse 21, but um, starting with 18, what are we told in verse 18 about the word? Brought us forth, well, God brought us forth, brought us forth by the word. So in other words, it's the agent, it's the means, it's the um, spark, it's what fertilizes something in our heart to make it start growing. Brought us forth by the word. Well, I don't need to write the word. Okay. Um, and somebody else said something. It's the word, oh yeah, that it's the word of truth. I should be writing numbers here. This is 18, this is 19. Okay, what else are we told? Able to save. Okay, we talked about that. Save my soul, and that was in 21. Um, is, that, is that verse 22, Rochelle? Okay. And how do you prove yourself? Be a doer. And that word um, to prove, I think that's the one, the same one that we've had before about testing or uh, assessing to see if it's the real thing. Um, let's see, prove. 
No, I'm not sure. I didn't, I didn't write that down for sure. So forget I said that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, be doers of the word. That was 22. Uh, what about 23, 24? Hearers. Hearing. Now, it's kind of interesting that he would say hearing because we would probably say reading, right? But the average person in James's time didn't have a copy of the Bible. They didn't, I mean, he's writing a letter. And so he's not, he's not sending copies so that everybody can take one home and he's not emailing everybody their own copy. So someone is going to stand up in um, a, a little synagogue or a little group of people and say, we have a letter from James, and they're going to read it, so they're going to hear it. That's why it says hearing, because that's how they're going to get it. Yes? Oh, sorry. Thank you. 18. Yes. Okay, so hearing uh, without doing um, is not good, right? Hearing, what, what picture or imagery does he use to talk about if you, if you hear something from the word and you're like, hmm, but then you don't do anything? What, 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 how does he compare looking at yourself in the mirror. So if you look in the mirror um, and you notice, you know, that your hair is sticking up where you don't want it to stick up, um, obviously the, mine sticks up lots of places. <laughs> um, it, then, then the sensible thing to do, since I bothered to look in the mirror, is to make some adjustments. But if I look and I go, oh, I've got some dirt on my face and my hair's sticking up weird and looks like I drooled something on my face, you know, all this stuff. And then I just go, oh, ho-hum, and walk off. Well, that's foolish. I, I looked in the mirror, but I made no use of what I, what I saw. Hearing without doing um, is, what did he say? Did he, did he? Yes. Yes. Then a mirror was at best polished bronze, mm -hmm. rarely silver, mm -hmm. but silver mm -hmm. so fast. So Metal. It was a real fuzzy yeah. thing. Yeah. And you had to look pretty closely. And I think one of the words here where he, he talks about at some point looking closely at it. Um, therefore, putting aside, let's see. Here, it's like a man who looks at his natural face for once he has looked at himself. I think that word means like to inspect or something. But I, again, don't quote me. Okay, so hearing without doing, that's a bad thing. Um, anything else that we're told about the word? How about verse 25? Perfect. So he calls the word the perfect law. 25. What else? Law of law of liberty. And that's in twenty-five as well. Um, anything else in twenty-five? 
abide by it. And what's the result? Okay, so we've, we've seen that before, right? Verse 12, that if we, verse 12 was talking about persevering, hanging in there when things are tough, letting God work, not running away, not, you know, all that stuff. And now again, say, he's saying there's blessing for obedience. That's 25. Um, I think that's most of what we wanted to include. Yes. 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 That was going to be my next question, Brenda. Is so. So Brenda's saying law of liberty. Those two things don't seem to go together. So how is God's word, a law of liberty. Now remember, who's he writing to? Dispersed Jews. So they know all the Old Testament law, right? And so when he talks to them and says, this law of, but the one who looks intently, oh, that's the word I was looking for, looks intently, um, at the perfect law, the law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man or woman will be blessed in what he does. So how can the law be a law of liberty? How does the law bring or express or encourage or whatever freedom? Oh, obeying the law keeps me from sin, and sin is bondage. So if I do things God's way, if God tells me, you know, do this, don't do this, think this way, act this way, you know, we've had how many commands already? The book of James has, on the average, one imperative verb, one command or strong exhortation, on the average, every other verse. There's about a, a little over 100 verses, and there's 50-some commands. So that gives me a certain freedom from the bondage of sin. Um, when I used to teach parenting classes, we used to talk about your, think of your child, you know, your child is here, and, you, and, and let's say they're uh, 13, and you want them when they're an adult to end up here, and there's, and there's a pathway that'll get them there, but you have to put up some guardrails. We found a lot of parents were afraid to say no to their kids. And it's like, no, you're the adult. You, you tell them that they can't do that and, you know, and all this stuff. So, because I said, think about what the pitfalls are off that path. And so we would talk about different things that kids you know, might go astray with, and, I, and then I would ask them, okay, now knowing little Johnny, which of those do you think he personally would be more vulnerable to? So it kind of got the parents thinking when the kid's 12 or 13, oh, I need to, you know, especially do something there. So that, that pathway to being a well-adjusted, uh, stable, uh, productive adult is, is the way of freedom because they're going to end up somewhere good. So you 
talking about the following the old laws then? Oh, good question. Jenny says, does that mean that we have to follow all the old law in the Old Testament? So what do you think? Do we have to follow, or even let's say these, let's say these people that he's writing to, they're Jewish, so now that they have believed in Christ, do they have to follow all the Old Testament laws? Not according to Acts 15. Oh, tell us about Acts 15. That's where the Jews said, you've got to follow the laws of Moses, be circumcised, etc., etc. And they had a council with the apostles and the letter they wrote to the churches to just, you know, uh, abstain from sexual immorality, food given to idols, and drinking blood. And, stuff. Mm -hmm. and James was the one who, who formulated their, kind of took the consensus and said, here's what we're going to say, right? The same James. Yeah, the same James. Yes. It wasn't actually yes. Well, even the Jews, did they have to keep? Because there was Pharisees that said. Mm -hmm. To go back. Mm -hmm. I think that the law that gives freedom is he's sweeping away the secretions that are doctrines of men. Like mm -hmm. Jesus, okay? Mm -hmm. They constantly criticized him for not obeying the Sabbath. Right. And he went to the core, which is the right. Sabbath is made for man. Right. And so you have to look long and intently mm -hmm. so that you can see the part of the law that, that gives. And, and when you understand God's heart, and he helps you understand it, mm -hmm. then you have freedom from the, the chain. Every mm -hmm. denomination cooks up a bunch of these little Little do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, like uh, some week of God that I was part of used to say that uh, Jesus made the wine, uh, the water to drink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, couldn't, they couldn't get around Because, oh, so, no but, wine. But if you look long mm -hmm. into the law, mm -hmm. you see that, that it is what it is mm -hmm. and not the stuff that people right. are trying to add. Because at this time, there, you know, the Pharisees were strong. I mean, influence, and even though they were mostly in Jerusalem, those people, those Jewish believers in Jesus, had, they had left Jerusalem or left nearby towns, and they were somewhere else, but they'd still have those teachings ingrained in them. And so a lot of what they had was man's interpretation of the law. If you look at the Ten Commandments, they're all still pretty good, right? Um, you know, don't kill, make sure God's first, take some time off, uh, don't covet your neighbor's things. Those are still good things. Um, so what, why don't we have to do like the sacrifices and that stuff? Okay, Jesus fulfilled the sacrifices. So we don't have to do a sacrifice for this and a sacrifice for that. Time of this letter, would they have understood? Oh, the law of liberty, and they knew what that was. Um, Jenny says, at, when he says the law of liberty, would the would they would his audience have understood that? I think maybe he was saying to them, the law is a law of liberty. Don't get bound up with all these little details. And and it was it was still early. You know, we said what or some 
just roughly like 50 AD, so somewhere around 20 years after Jesus was on earth. Um, so they're still kind of figuring out what all it meant and trying to put it together with Old Testament um, predictions and what, what his coming would mean. So, um, but when he says law of liberty, it probably w would get their attention. Yes, Marianne. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 it looks like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus, <laughs> right? Um, and if you notice, oh, go ahead. The summary. Therefore, he's trying to tell you how you can comply with those two commands. Yeah. And this is loving your brother as yourself. Yeah. And notice too that the word law is in italics. So that means there the the word for law was not repeated in the Greek. It would say something like, looks intently at the perfect law, that of liberty. Mm. Or the law, I mean, it would, the perfect law of liberty, maybe put it all in one phrase, something like that. Um, okay, so, so um, I don't know that we've, we've um, mined every single thought there, but... Um, in verse 26, it says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the... In the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So you had some word studies, right? What page was that? Let's see. 27. Okay, the first one was bridal. Um, down question two. And, and it said, if you... If you think you're a religious person, consider yourself religious or spiritual, um, but, but does not bridle his tongue, then there's some, some things that James has to say. So what, what are the word bridle? Tell me what you found out. Literally, to be a bit leader. To be a bit leader. Okay, I forgot to ask what number, what number you got? 5468? Five, anybody, anybody like some other number? 5468, and it's a big old long word, C-H-A-L-I-N-A-G. 
G-O-G-E-O. And again, the fact that it ends in A-E-O suggests that it's a verb, and it sounds like that you're saying it's a verb. Okay, uh, to, to uh, be a bit leader. Now, who has horses? Okay, tell us about what you do with a bit. Yeah, goes like this in their mouth, sideways, and then it's connected. And so what do you do with it? You, just like a race, you're able to keep them in line. Keep them in line, tell them when to stop, when to, when to go, uh, restrain, turn here. So it's, it's guidance, it's pacing them, all that kind of thing. Okay, um, any other words? To curb. Anything else? Restrain. Restrain. Hold in check. Yeah, that's a good one. To hold in check. And that's what you do with a bit. If you want the horse just to stand still, you kind of just put a little tension on it like Okay, just stay right here, right here. And the, and the bits can have, um, well, not really teeth, what would, anyway, it can get uncomfortable if you have, to, if they're not listening and you have to pull a little harder. They're not really teeth, but little roller things, some texture anyway that can get kind of uncomfortable in their mouth. Um, let's see if I have anything else. This also, this is going to come up again in chapter three. He's going to talk about bits guiding horses and, and relate that to the tongue. So um, let's see, to guide, did we put that down, to guide. Okay, and this big old long word, this part means this is the bridle part and this is the lead, bring, etc. part. Um, okay, so so what would that be like? It says bridle your tongue. Well they would they would probably know what a bridle was, but he says bridle your tongue, which is kind of interesting because you put it over the tongue of the horse. You know, it's like that way. So bridle your tongue. Well Control it, curb it, restrain, hold it in check. So why would that be important? Because it's a fiery furnace. And he talks about that in chapter 3, about the tongue is a little thing, but it can cause big problems. So he's saying, listen, if you think that you're really just got it all together spiritually. If you consider yourself religious, but you don't bridle your tongue, what, what's the, what's the, what is his consequence? What's his reading of it? Deceives his own heart. So if my mouth just runs off and says either mean things or gossip or um, lies or hurtful things, what, you know. We all 
don't name any names. Um, so, and that's, that's another way that we can misuse our tongue is to be a know-it-all. I remember um, there was a guy that Richard worked with that was, you know, an expert on everything. And so he had his captive audience like they were there for his TED talk, you know, at lunch. And he would blah, 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 blah. And one of the other guys finally got tired of it. And he said, you know, I guess we just don't realize how fortunate we are to have you right here as a resource, knowing everything. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, yeah, he, he had some, maybe some issues. But um, yeah, just to, I can use my tongue just to dominate a conversation. And that's selfish. That's focusing on me. So lots of different ways that we can be um, unspiritual or not loving other people or res showing respect for God with our tongue. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart and his religion, quote, religion, is worthless. And then in 27, he goes, okay, now, now here's what I'm talking about Here's what I want to see. Here's some of the fruit I want to see in your life if you truly are spiritual or religious. So what, what did it include? Serving. Serving. Specifically what? Okay, visit orphans and widows in their distress. And then to keep oneself unstained by the world. And I, I was thinking... Uh, well, that's kind of an interesting combination of do this and do this, and then that's an, a description of true religion. But then I thought, well, um, maybe visiting orphans and widows is a, is a part of love your neighbor as yourself, and keeping yourself unstained from the world is keeping God first, like, like not, not, not um, being... Um, drawn away by things of this world. So um, let's see, we had some other word studies, right, that might, might help us, page 28. Um, so when it says to visit, oh, can I get some erasing help, please? I'll start visit right here. Okay, what number did you get for visit? Mumble, mumble. Nineteen. Um, just in, it doesn't matter anything. Just to. Okay, nineteen eighty. I'm sure that was a good year. Nineteen eighty, and um, what did it seem to mean? So it's a verb. To go see. Look out for, look out for or upon, to take care of. Anybody find out anything else? Oh, to inspect. So that's kind of like check in on somebody, see how they're doing. Uh, anything else? The, um, the word is uh, E-P-I. S-K-E-P-T-O-M-A-I. 
O-M-A-I is another end verb ending. And, well, I won't tell you. Anyway, it's another, that's another clue that you're looking at a verb. Oh, my. Oh, my. It's a verb. Okay. Um, epi means upon or above or over. And then the skeptomai, it's the same word that we get scope from. Telescope, microscope, you know, so you got, it's looking to, to look, to fix the eye, that kind of thing. Um, okay, so we're supposed to visit widows and orphans. Do you think it's, do you think it's only widows and orphans, or is this an example, or is he specific about widows and orphans? They would have been the poorest. They would have been the poorest. And, and their culture, there, were, there weren't a lot of social and government resources for them. And remember, they're refugees. So, so the neighbors that, you know, grew potatoes that they traded for milk or whatever, they don't have that anymore. So, so the ones that had to leave and they didn't have a dad or a husband to, um, you know, maybe grow a little patch of vegetables or go out and do something use their skills to barter for food and things like that. So they would be the most needy. And I think in principle, we can extend that to other people that are needy. Like what about, well, I guess an older lady by herself would, might be a widow, but I was gonna say, what about grandmas that live by themselves? Um, okay, so, so that's one of the things. If, if, if you wanna ask yourself, is my religion genuine one of the marks James says is that you're that you're thinking about the people that are less fortunate you're you're checking on them you're not just thinking about them you're not just saying hey I'll pray for you but you're actually visiting them checking in on them um, you know they're on your radar a continuous responsibility yes a pattern um, what about the unstained? What does that mean? Unstained. You like 784? Okay. 784. That's what I got. 784. A-S-P-I-L-O-S. And it's an adjective, okay? All right, what does it mean? Unblemished. What else? Without fault. Without fault. Undefiled, yeah. Undefiled. Any other synonyms? Pure, which is kind of similar to undefiled. Um, let's see. Spot. I have spotless. That's kind of the same thing. Fully acceptable, like a like uh, a sacrifice in the Old Testament. You know, it had to be without blemish and all that stuff. Um, and, and so in the root, this A is, means without or not. 
and this part means um, spot, blemish, fault, that kind of thing. So it's pretty literally what it means. I mean, the roots mean literally what the word means. Spot, blemish, fault. Okay. So he's telling them not to be, don't be defiled, don't be blemished, uh, don't become unpure by your interactions with the world. So if they're in a tough spot, uh, what, what kinds of things might they be, how would the world respond to being in a tempting or trial, trying situation? What are some non-spiritual ways of responding? Give in. If it's temptation, give in. There's a scarlet letter situation. There's a widow or an orphan and everybody will, the untouchables, and the whole community will get annoyed at you if you go. If you're the one that, that does associate. Yeah, you, Jesus, Jesus took some guff for associating with people that the religious people thought he shouldn't, right? Um, so, so he's saying, don't be, don't take on the ways of the world. Don't, don't get angry. Don't, um, you know, say I'm going to, I'm going to get somebody for this happening. Uh, giving up in a trial or giving in in temptation. Um, to, no, that's, that's, those are blemishes. Those are spots. Those those are, uh, that, that defiles you as a child of God. I, oh, avoiding, yeah, avoiding something just like, yeah, avoiding a problem or something like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm going to think positive. <laughs> yeah. So Mark's saying, you know, sometimes we have a responsibility to respond to something, but we, if we say, no, nah, I don't want to play, you know, and, and don't take our responsibility. Like if you know somebody you love is doing something that's harmful, it's easier not to say anything, but if you really care about that person and, you, and your hope is that they would turn away from whatever it is that's harmful, um, you know, we would be gutsy enough to risk saying something. First um, John, those cross-references to First John, those went right along. Uh, those, that I thought that was a good choice for cross-references. Uh, what stood out to you? This is at the bottom of page 28. What stood out to you? Did you mark anything or star anything from the First John references? Did you look them up? <laughs> Start there. Put our hope in God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all going to pass away. Uh, going back to the thought that James had about, remember the grass and the flower and all that stuff passing away and worldly wealth passing away and we need to have a, um, an eternal perspective. Um, so John that wrote 1 John, that's the same John from Revelation, right? Yeah. And so he was one of the apostles, right? 
the disciple that Jesus loved. And so I got to thinking about why, and we often see cross-references with Peter. So I was thinking it was very interesting that, that James picks up so much of what Peter and John, who were disciples and who did travel with Jesus, so either James talked with them about, now tell me more about this. What did Jesus teach about that? Once, because remember, when did, when did James begin to believe that Jesus really was the Messiah? Clear after he, his resurrection, right? So, so uh, Peter and John had been with him for three years. And, and either James popped in once in a while, like, you know, Mary said, here, take him some food. I worry about him. <laughs> or, yeah, or bring him back. Or, or, and, or, he talked with Peter and John because there's so many parallels between, between what John wrote and what Peter wrote with the book of James. So it's kind of interesting, like, where did he get this information? <laughs> yes. 10 minutes. Okay, 10 to 11. All right, thank you. Um, let's see. Let me see if I have any other great questions to make you think. I, don't even, I can't even find my papers, so there it is. Okay. Um, looks like we covered a lot of it. Um, Oh, one thing that I, that I didn't know that I learned is at the end of verse 25, where it says, um, you know, don't, don't be like the guy who looks in the mirror and then doesn't do anything about it. Verse 25, but one who looks intently in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, in other words, adjusts his life accordingly, not having become a forgetful, a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. In um, in uh, in several versions, it says doer of the doer of work. You know, like Christian works, and maybe that isn't like a big deal, but when it just says effectual doer, you're like. Well, doer what, you know, we'll do the word, but um, the fact that it's effectual doer of work, um, I thought was kind of significant. This man will be blessed in what he does, and that should read in his work. Okay, so not being a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer of work, you know, some action, some doing stuff, this person will be blessed in his work. I just thought that was kind of interesting that uh, NAS doesn't include the word work, but it's there in the Greek in both places. And it's a different word <laughs> in the two places. But um, so it's, it's not just thinking correctly in line with the law of liberty, but it's also... Um, how I live, how I talk, how I think, how I treat others, how I respond to God, actions and, and um, behavior and patterns. So 
Okay. Um, oh, I wanted to tell you, uh, next, the next lesson does not ask you to do any word studies, but I'm going to suggest, if you like to do word studies, there's a couple that you might find interesting. So this is for next week. Um, so this is chapter 2. So in, verse two, uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 9, there's the word favoritism in chapter in, in verse 1 and partiality in verse 9 so and those are related like one's a noun and one's a verb so I think that would be interesting if you look those up so favoritism in verse 1 and show partiality in verse 9 and you know you could just pick one of these or whatever um, the second one is make distinctions that's in verse 4 make or made distinctions, which is kind of like favoritism or show partiality, but we want to see how it's different. That's in verse 4. And then uh, there's several different cognates of judges, judge, judgment, and those are in 4, 12, and twice in verse 13. So some of them are going to be the verb, some of them are going to be um, a noun, whatever. So judges, judge, judgment, and those are verse 4, 12, and twice in, in uh, verse 13. So if you want, if you have time, they're, they're pretty interesting. I've already looked at them. So, Okay, video on this lesson.